There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV And welcome again to WCN-TV. It's Tuesday, September 12th, 2023. We have a new issue of the newspaper coming out uh, tomorrow at Wisconsin Christian News. You can find that at wisconsinchristiannews.com. And um, I think if you, there you go. If you look on our website, you can see what our front page looks like. So we're going to kind of jump right into things here today with um, our guest. Um, our friend uh, Mark Sutherland from the UK uh, was here in the US. Uh, he asked me not to let anyone know he was here kind of clandestinely. And uh, he and I actually were able to meet together and clandestinely in a actually in an alleyway <laughs> um, one day. But uh, it wasn't all as uh, secretive as that. But anyway, uh, Mark was uh, was here doing some investigation, some and some uh, some research, and attending some some meetings, kind of under the radar. And he's going to share some of the things he learned on his trip throughout the U.S. with us today. Mark, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hope you're rested. Well, up. You thank you, Rob. Thank you very much, mate. Uh, you are my inspiration, so thank you. Uh, but I, I had sent I, I had sent Jonathan a picture of the two of us together in that alleyway. <clears throat> I would. If you, did you get that, Jonathan? Can you put that That'd up? Because be I'm just curious to see if we are wearing the same shirts we were wearing during our meeting. <laughs> That'd be quite funny. Can I just say that there was tea? Tea involved and coffee involved. There was tea involved, water, yes. Water involved, and we were sitting in a very, very nice, uh, some very nice tables in a little alleyway next door to a lovely tea shop, tea shop joined by uh, another dear friend of mine. So that that was fantastic, Rob. It was just to say from the outset, it was an absolute delight to meet you in person, as we have so many mutual friends, and uh, it was really, and I really appreciate you taking the time out to do that because i know it was no small undertaking and especially without just saying this straight from the bat um ah i am wearing we a different t-shirt i got it right i got it i'm wearing a different shirt but I, wearing I got, a different. I'm wearing, I'm wearing uh, a very american american influence shirt but it was lovely to meet you and that just proves that that is us it's not photoshopped uh, people can uh, can check that out but but it was lovely to uh, to meet you and just to say that in person and the encouragement of that. And I also met another mutual friend of mine and others and someone I need to introduce you to, which is my dear friend, uh, Michael Baudier, which is uh, Dietrich Budemont's uh, grandson. So right. I, I need to make that introduction for you. Folks asked me... Um where I was going that day. And I said, I was going to meet Mark and, um, what, what is he doing here? I didn't, I thought he was in the UK and, uh, <laughs> I had explained, well, he's, he's doing a little spy work. And then, um, <laughs> so you're, you're actually spying. And then I get a text as I arrive to the scene, meet me in this alleyway. <laughs> okay. This, this sounds like, 
<laughs> that is quite funny. And uh, normally you would have a roll of uh, a newspaper roll under your, under your arm, but actually you bought about 30 copies, I think, of the Wisconsin News. Do yes. give me, which I have... Uh, I I then rode home on a on a bicycle with that packet of paper, and then I, I delivered it to the dear people that I was staying with. And I need to follow that up because it'd be lovely to know that if it was in taken to their church. So Rob, slightly tongue in cheek, slightly uh, joking apart, but I have just done. I've just been in the states for twelve weeks, and. I have been going around, seeing people, making, seeing some old friends, making uh, new friends, and I have uh, been uh, flying around, flying around the states. So, the May, I ended up going to three conferences. I saw our dear mutual friend Mike Spalding, so I washed into their their um, conference there, which was lovely to be there and lovely to see a lot of mutual friends and many. Some people didn't know I was coming, so that was quite nice. Um, because within the schedule at times, I'm going, am I going to be able to make it? Yes, I can. Um, then I went to the Red Pill Expo, which is run by uh, G. G. Edward Griffin of the Creature of Jekyll Island fame. And um, I was going there again to be part of that conference very kindly. My dear friend, uh, Dan Happel, as one of the organizers there arranged for my film Between Lambs and Lions to be shown three times, which was a real privilege. And meeting, I met Alex Newman, of course, who I know personally. So that was lovely to see him. And this isn't about a name call. The reason why I want to say it is I am blessed to be able to get on a plane and come and see friends. Those friendships mean a lot to me, even though at times they may be 5,000 miles away, 4,000 miles away three and a half thousand miles away, whatever. But those friendships are important and we all need each other. Um, and and that's why I was grateful when you made, made that time. Um, the other key thing is, is that the conference I want to focus on is a conference that I don't think many, many people know actually exist. But a dear, dear friend of mine, which is Carl Tigrib, and I need to, I need to pay tribute to him at this point, and Jonathan, I don't know if you could very kindly go on the worldwide annoyance tool that we have to use and look up uh, Carl Tigrib's book, Game of Gods. And if we could put that up, that would be that would be amazing. So Carl, as, as being a, a dear, dear friend, is I just believe is one of the best researchers that we have and has been researching the kind of stuff that I will talk about for 35 years. And if people do not have this book, I make no profit from this. I'm just saying that. But this book, and there are a number of copies behind me, is a manual. It's about 560 pages with enough footnotes to resync the Olympus. Oh, did I say that? Yes, I did. Um, to resync that, um, it is a manual, and I believe it's a book that should be on everybody's shelf because Carl has been researching being going to the parliament of world religions which we're going to enter for a few years and then carl will go to burning man and he will do research there yes he was there this year i was invited i declined because i just thought i can't face doing a load of camping i think at the time i made the right decision but praise god that there were at least a minimum of three Christians inside Burning Man witnessing to people and having some very, very interesting conversation. There is a tie-up, I think, between the two events. Um, and whatever people... Burning Man, not something that we uh, we walk into lightly, and we have friends, my dear friends, Brian and Audrey uh, van der Clay, go there with Carl, supporting him. There are others. Um, that go and people praying um, because the Burning Man is the playground of, of the elites and the test bed. And that is what it's about. And in many ways, I think we need to look at getting Carl on the program so we can discuss Burning Man. So if we just slightly park Burning Man right now, but please, people, look up his book, get it. But if we, Jonathan, if you want to chuck up the graphic of the uh, Parliament of World Religions, and I'm going to hold up a book. So let's have a little bit of history. 
So the Parliament of World Religions first got together, and this is a book about it, which first started in 1893. Okay, now, it was a, there was a big, I don't know if we can see this, I'm going to try and do something that in many ways we shouldn't do on telly, but just showing that, the, just give you a bit of history. Um, so here we are in Victorian times. It is incredible that an open conference with speakers representing all religions would have convened during the staid Victorian era. And it certainly, it would have occurred in the Western Hemisphere, only in the United States. The occasion was the World's Parliament of Religions, which was held in conjunction with the Columbian Exposition at Chicago in 1893. Hold on to that date because this is important. Participated in by hundreds, attended by thousands. The ample material presented during the month-long meetings was recorded in two volumes of 1,600 pages. Now, I believe that Mike Spaulding actually has copies of those books where they were recorded of 1,600 pages. Um, how he got hold of them, I don't know, but I'm so glad that he's gone. Uh, Mike does have quite an extensive library of some very, very interesting books, partly because I helped build some bookshelves in his office once, but that's another story. But this is important because, and Carl can really, really go into some of this far deeper, but this is Chicago and Vivekananda. Right, publication by the Vivekananda Vedetta Society of Chicago. Now, I don't think that I am being over the top dramatic, but the Parliament of World Religions in 1983 introduced Eastern religions, thinking, opening that up to the Western world. Now, we constantly say this, that we are not fighting flesh and blood, but we are fighting principalities and powers. Now, hold on to this, that this took place in Chicago. I find it fascinating that it had taken place in Chicago. I find it fascinating which what then has unfolded from Chicago in regard to the political influence and the, and the things that have gone on and the principalities that represent that. So if we think about this, throwing this out, I understand that Nancy Pelosi's family links are Chicago. Hillary Clinton's are Chicago. Obama are Chicago. Hold those things in mind. We are not fighting flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. So the first parliament met in 1893. The second parliament met in 1993, there was a hundred year gap. But in between that, of course, going through certain aspects of history rather quickly, within the United States, you then of course have the formation of the Federal Reserve. You then have, you know, Teddy Roosevelt creating uh, FBI, we then go into uh, four terms of FDR. We then, during the 30s, as America begins to have more of a socialist mindset, of course, within its political sphere. You only have to look at FDR in that regard. But we know that FDR, and I'm going through things rather quickly because I want to come to various seminars to discuss. We know that FDR then, at Yalta, when he met, Joseph Stalin, when he had a meeting with Winston Churchill. And there was, then he asked uh, Joseph Stalin, let's just remember he was Uncle Joe, the man that uh, put, in, put in a gulag, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, the reason why the J6 book, American Gulag Chronicles, is named as such, which is after that appalling crime of setting up American gulags from 1918 to 1953, which happened in Russia for political prisoners, for anyone that he disagreed with, that came out with stuff that he didn't like, 
that was against the communist regime. Socialism always leads to communism. So if we then take FDR, the Green New Deal, the Green New Deal of 1933, and the fact that he would base, in many ways, some of his policies on this kind of thinking and beginning to have more and more government influence, state control, etc., in regard to how your country runs. Now, you as a nation, and I've had this discussion over the last few weeks, and I don't know whether we have time and you may ask me a question in regard to if I was to take temperature of where America is at, Mark, what, what concerns you at the moment? Maybe that's a question, Rob, that you could ask toward a certain point. But, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, independence, the fact that you do not want, you do not want government interference in your lives. Now, bear in mind, round about 1900, I could, I'm hoping I have this right, that, you know, there was 20 million, I'm not sure of the population at that time, maybe it's something that Jonathan could look up for us, but 20 million people in America were living off homesteads. Now, bearing in mind that, the beginning of uh, the mechanization of America, then of course, big cities like Chicago, etc., are then beginning to be formed. But jumping ahead, Churchill, Stalin, FDR meet, and FDR turns around and says, Joe, will you support me in my creation of the United Nations? After the First World War, we had the League of Nations. Yes, there was American influence in that and certain policies, etc. But then the League of Nations came, came about. Am I saying that First World War contrived? In many ways, I would say yes. Let's go back. We then have the creation of the United Nations, which FDR was uh, uh, ple pleased to see that that process was beginning. Um, of course, in, 19, uh, in 1947, I believe, if I've got my dates right, after a number of days into his fourth term, he then died and Harry Truman then takes over. Eleanor Roosevelt is suddenly propelled her the sort of like the first lady of the world and when Eleanor Roosevelt died he made a very um, critical comment to Eisenhower by actually praising Eleanor Roosevelt and he said to Eisenhower you know you did basically you didn't use her but I I um, venerated her to lady of the world because she was then involved with establishing the uh, human rights statute, statutes, et cetera, et cetera, within, within the United Nations. Now here, here, just think about what he said or think about what he's actually pushing forward. I made her like first lady of the world. So he, the thinking well before then, and you can go back to the League of Nations, et cetera, the thinking was beginning to really think out, just bear this in mind, by comments like that, you then begin to really think outside the Constitution of the United States. That's how I view it. You then begin to think outside nationhood. So 1993 is important because round about that time, Jonathan, thank you for finding, finding that. I mean, it's very important that, uh, uh, that she is researched, looked into. And Let me ask her, you a question, Mark. Um, so this yeah. Parliament, Parliament of World Religions mm. uh, first met in 1893, and then they met That's in right. 1993, 100 year gap, yeah. and then 2023, 30 year gap. What is this organization doing behind the scenes in the meantime, the first 100 years and the last 30 years? Very, very, yeah, very good question. Um, it has met regularly since 1993. Now, to me, it began to put in process um, a building connections. They would start to, if we, if, we, if we look at this, the fact that 
In the first one in 1893, there were 12, 12 delegates sent from England. You would then have other, delica other delegates sent from Asia. There was about 18. You've then got Unitarianisms, people there. You've got Lutherans there. You've got Methodists there. I don't think the Baptists turned up because it was meeting on a Sunday. So they didn't actually turn up in 1893. And I joke not. So all I can surmise with what then came out is that they began to meeting and the the bottom line is this is that it is the central point where the un starts to from its foundation starts to use the inter an interface interfaith ideology to then begin to push forward its one world government dreams and also its one world religion dreams and if anyone says well, are, are you telling me that they're coming down the track? No, I'd actually say, and I think, and I know that my dear friend Carl Tigre would bear me out on this, that they're already here. The systems are already in place now. So they're tied together with the with the United Nations uh, in pursuit of uh, forming a one world religion. That's what you're saying. I would I would say to you that, and also it is. Uh, non-governmental organizations is NGO central. It's like where a load of NGOs get together to have a meeting and et cetera, et cetera. Now, right, so we have the Parliament of World Religions in, in uh, 2023. This is the booklet of it, which is 304, 305 uh, pages thick. And they have seminars. And in a second, I'm going to turn to some of those seminars. But, let, let me just well, make one one point and ask you a question, what you think about this. I was researching Parliament of World Religions today, and um, they have a section on their website um, listing the, the organizations that fund them. Okay? The only government organization that i could find on the list maybe i'm wrong maybe i missed something um but i found it odd when you look under funders i don't know where you find it on this website the state of utah was listed yeah why in the world would the state of utah be funding the parliament of world religions well, that's a, that is an extremely good question. And also the World Parliament of Religions did actually take place in Utah a few years ago, because the, bo the bottom line is, right, if you I'm looking at some of the uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yep. They sponsored the religion, the Parliament of World Religions, the Earth Charter, Hartford International, University for Religion and Peace, GainPeace.com, Interfaith America. Um, you've got the uh, Fetzer Institute, the Anzari Institute for Global Engagement with Religion, Wayfarer Foundation, Striving for Unity, Charter for Compassion, World Council. Yeah, Jonathan of has the list of, of funders up on, yep. uh, on the screen Brilliant. there. And, um... Brilliant. I mean, State of Utah. In many, yeah, in, <coughs> in many ways, weird. Yeah, well, in many ways, Rob, um, peace, pluralism, pluralism, and the just and uh, justice uh, organization. In many ways, Rob, a lot of people we don't even know that this exists. I've said mm -hmm. to Americans, I've said when I was over there, I'm going to the World Parliament of Religions, and they said, "What's that?" And I went, "Well, I'm going to go and try and find out what it is." Because basically it's the center of the interfaith movement. If, but here we go. Building a world federation, right? If you say that this doesn't exist, it exists. Building a world federation. You are then, humanity viewed as a collective whole has been slowly but inex inexorably moving towards increasing in integration. It has successfully passed through stages of collective growth characterized by ever-winding circles of integration, social cohesion, loyalty starting with the family and progressing into turn to tribe, city and nation. Given our tremendous advantages in the area of communication, transport and trade that made us increasingly and inextricably interdependent, 
it stands to reason that the next unit of overarching loyalty towards which we are moving is loyalty to the world as a unit. The peacefulness of our societies, which in turn determines the extent to which we can focus our energies on civilization building activities is largely determined by the degree of our social cohesion. In other words, there, this is extremely clever language for the fact that we are moving, we have this whole thing of a globalized society, but we are moving towards this progressivism. These are the rules of how we engage. If you step outside that, then of course, then you are against us. But here's the important thing to say. At the Parliament of World Religions is, you know, pagan worship, Wicca, um, let's worship Mother Earth. There are, there is, uh, witches that attend and all this kind of thing i am not making any of this up then if you take this along the side and you bolt this on you have then got a massive 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 push for um the whole eco warrior climate change stuff um, the fact that oh, we must ban oil, we must get rid of all these nasty cars, we, uh, we need to do all that because we're worried about the fact that the earth is overheating by 1.5 degrees centigrade and all this stuff. And that is what they then push, which is a merger of that, the UN, the interfaith, because as you know, and you've most probably watched it. I've made sure I watched it a few weeks ago. When you're watching the film, The Enemies Within, which star, which has brilliant Trevor Loudon in, and I've forgotten the other brilliant guy that's produced it. I can picture him. When you look at this and then you realize that the church has been invaded by the new age, right? Has been pushed by the new age. The um, I hope I get this right, by the the Baha'is cult sect who then are going to be are central to this because the Baha'i faith, because they then have um, this whole thing of, you know, uh, a new world order, a one world government. That is that is not a surprise to the centrality of what they actually believe. So we have this. We have all these sem seminars. And words and lexicons, Rob, of what of what we actually um, see in society and changing the words and changing the way uh, people think is really, 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 of course, important. So if I turn to page 69 within this uh, catalogue and I'm going to see if if I can show that. Yeah, we see that on screen and we're going to a seminar. Rob, you would love this, especially in regard to the Second Amendment, Christian nonviolence in church and society, right? <laughs> our, world is, our world is beset by violence and oppression in every concentric circle of our lives, from the deeply personal to the geopolitical. And uh, two, Reverend Dr. Higgs and Reverend Wade explore the vital ascendant and profoundly timely need for the understanding and practice of nonviolence from the Christian perspective. Nonviolence as a philosophy, theology, political activism, etc., spiritual practice. Reverend Ray Wade is a Southern Baptist minister, pastor, and Reverend Dr. Thomas Higgs is an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. So I'll just throw that one out there. Then let's just quickly move on. Because this particular seminar, uh, when I was there, uh, was uh, rather amusing because of a statement that was said. So I then went to a seminar, Finding Truth in an Era of Misinformation. You and I get called, uh, we get called conspiracy theories, we get <clears> called uh, people that are throwing out misinformation. So here we go, faith and democracy. Finding Truth in an Era of Misinformation highlights the dangers of misinformation and how faith-based journalism is working to advocate for truth across various platforms. Good Faith Media, Baptist News Global, and Wordway are example of this counter-movement 
combating misinformation and advocating for honesty and truth journalism. Well, let's just put that there. Because what was really interesting there was the Reverend Mark Wilford, Wingfield is the executive director and publisher of Baxter's News Global. I was in the sem seminar for less than three, well, about three minutes. And suddenly the, the, col the concept, the discussion of the Antichrist came up and uh, Mark Wingfield then described Donald Trump as the nearest person on earth to the Antichrist. And I just sat, I just sat there and just went, give me strength, right? Give me strength. What we are dealing with, in my opinion, are people at times when you try and engage, there is complete delusional. Now hold that in place because there was one, one particular seminar I want us to expound on um, for quite a considerable amount of time. The reason why I referred to enemies within is from this point of view. We have to be fully aware of the infiltration into the church of the New Age, New Age movement. And when you are looking at Franciscan monks background, people called Richard Raw, who were then part of a seminar with three other people. One of them is a lady linked to the Baptist, Baptist church in some ways, and I can't find the seminar right now, and I apologize. But Richard Raw, they're then part of a discussion of how, how you can take psychedelic drugs to find God. Now, mm -hmm. my own, my own uh, not that that is a subject that I know anything about personally, right? And don't really want to. The bottom line, but aware of being on the end of dealing with individuals that sadly, you know, have been influenced by drugs and all the rest and from a teaching point of view. But, but the issue is this, Rob. Uh, this is what these people are then encouraging. They're talking about a recent experiment that they've done and, and surveys and people taking evidence for, for the magic mushrooms or whatever they've been dropping to try and find God. Now, I don't know about you, but when my uh, if people came had come near my family with that kind of thing i think uh, they would be given a very very second amendment if i had access to something like that answer which is go away right mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. this is the kind of thought that is has been coming in into <laughs> into the church now this is a very important one because it has a huge amount to say of what is pleasantly going on within the political sphere of American politics and has been going on to sow seeds over the last year. Now, I don't know if you can see that, but rise of white Christian nationalism threats to US democracy. I'll just say that again. This is on page 205 of this manual. I'm not saying this to perfect. I'm not making this up. And I'm going to read this and I want to read the full description and I want to name some names. Because one of the wonderful things about that fantastic film, Enemies Within the Church, is the names that they name, is the people that we are dealing with. And of course, within um, the Southern Baptist Convention and all the rest, etc. You're far more far more up to date with that than I am on your side of the pond. But on this side of the pond, we have seen massive liberal progressivism infiltration. And I would say that most of the church in this country is gone within the mainstream sphere. Well, in this country as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, this, this is one of the reasons why the Parliament of World Religions and as Christians, and I'll say this, I was privileged to be with, um, as well as with my friend Carl there, I was privileged to be with another nine people of investigators who go, they go to evangelize, and they're having some incredible conversations. And there's a couple of other people that uh, I think you need to interview in the future, because we've got some ideas, because we need to be talking about the, these cultural changes and these cultural change changes. So let's read this. 
rise of white Christian nationalism and threats to U.S. democracy. Well, I find this fascinating because you are not a democracy. You are a constitutional representative republic with alienable rights given by God. That's it, period. And I wonder, I wonder how many Americans have actually forgotten that under a certain age or whether they've even whether they've even uh, been taught I that. can't even find a politician running for any office that even knows that so or will say it out loud wow so. wow Betty thank you for saying that about Trevor Loudon that was brilliant um because Trevor also wrote you know enemies within about Obama about what was what was happening within uh, within your political sphere in regard to people having communist links so there you go in this discussion, we bring together academic experts and faith leaders to address the rise of Christian nationalism in the US and explore how it presents a clear and present threat to democracy in the US. This session helps define Christian nationalism, establish how prevalent it is among the American public and demonstrates its threat to democracy. Uh, Dr. Carmen Celestini is a postdoctoral fellow, fellow school of religion at Queen's University in Canada. Catherine Law serves as executive for ecumenical and interreligious relationships and relations and theological discernment, really, in the ELCA office of the presiding bishop. Mark, Reverend Mark Pettis is an ecumenical and interfaith relations minister at the United Church of Good Christ. Dr. Tony Kirapoulos, sorry I'm murdering his name, is Associate General Secretary at the National Council of Churches um, USA. And Reverend Dr. Yongsuk Charlene Kang is a moderator of Religions for Peace USA. While I was there in one seminar, just come back to that, I sat behind uh, David Saberstein, who was Obama's representative of, of religion during uh, Obama's um, terms as the president of uh, of your country now this seminar the rise of white christian nationalism and threats to you democracy rob maybe what we need to do now is actually unpack what these people are then saying and remember within this context which i find particularly dangerous we remember um Recently, you know, Biden doing his his best Emperor Palpatine and doing some presentation with red lights behind him and all that. And it was all very, very dark. There has been this push in this lexicon for we are concerned basically for domestic domestic terrorism. We are now looking at over the last last week. Um, uh, Enrico, who um, and I forgotten his surname sorry jonathan try and find that out someone i've just really embarrassed myself there but enrico who was given 22 years for being leader of the proud boys and he was not in washington dc he was nowhere near it and he's been given 22 years yeah. we are conscious that joe biggs has been given 17 years there's been another 10 15 year sentence owen uh Schreier, of um of info wars has just been given 60 days um for being a reporter um i know someone that was given 30 days but under house arrest for just going into the building for 37 seconds then doing what the police officer did to go out why am i mentioning this the reason why i am mentioning this is suddenly yesterday or today there's an article that's come out um without dating it gateway pundit talks about 20 million dollars going to various some universities various other various other bodies around the united states to what they are then basically saying well fighting domestic terrorism we then have a course i think at washington uh, university and um another university where it the concern of white you know domestic terrorism, white domestic terrorism. You see the lexicon and where this is going, okay, and, and what they are then pushing. And if people then turn around and say, well, hold on a minute, how are you then joining these two up? Well, I haven't joined these two up. These people here, 
the rise of white Christian nationalism are then threatening us, saying, you and I, as who are white and as Christians and who believe in our countries, we are then, and we love other countries, of course, we are then, in their ideology, we are then seen as a threat, Rob. And this is the kind of discussions, along with, you know, sitting in a seminar which I did opposite Al Gore's daughter, Kareen, that runs some um, theological center or whatever, I think, in, in New York. And there they are talking about that their seminary had disinvested from oil and all this kind of thing, right? And there she is. And I, I made sure I attended the seminar. And this particular seminar, I was there, Carl was there, a, a lady comes in who happens to be one of the most powerful witches in North America walks in. So here you are saying, here you are seeing evil. Here you are seeing uh, witchcraft. You are then coming in to meet and have a quickly whisper in the ear of someone who's actually chairing the meeting, who is then pushing the whole 17 development goals, the whole agenda 21, agenda 30, the whole of all of those UN climate change directives. So you have all of that going on, Rob. And what, what is concerning as well as fascinating, I say from a research point of view, is that when you, um, in the past recently, you've had people like uh, Jim Wallace from the so Sojourners community in uh, Washington, D.C., etc., and very much a, um, a left-wing orientated mindset, then with him, with others, building up this whole view of, uh, you know, absolutely being furious that um, Donald Trump was president of the United States, etc., etc. And also, I think, beginning as well, there is no respect for the, uh, for the Constitution of the United States, Rob. So there is an, an undermining, to me, on so many different levels, including, of course, you've you've got you've got the you've got the UN and the whole thing of pushing. You and I have been called this, you know, conspiracy theories. Really? Well, Agenda 21 is real because it was launched, I believe, in Kyoto in 1993. That's why there was a gap. You remember, as others do, Herbert Walker Bush's very famous uh, or infamous speech. When he turns around and says, we have the opportunity, I won't do the accent, we have the opportunity to build a new world order. And when we're successful, which we will be. You've got to go back and watch that speech, whether that was in 92. Um, and Kyoto, right about that. No, I get the dates wrong. But anyway, he looked that, looked that speech up of what he was then saying, because it was <clears> signaling, <throat> signaling what was coming. Well, Mark, all of this leads into, uh, I mean, it's its all connected to, to the UN. It's all connected mm -hmm. to rebuilding Babylon, which it, all of this stuff is, mm -hmm. you know, which is why they have to denigrate white Christian nationalism. Uh, nationalism, all of those things are, you know, <laughs> have to be done away with. White people, Christian people, national nationalists. Um, it, it it just fits the same playbook. It's it's the same people doing the same thing every time. I'm just looking at their at their list of critical issues. They have six critical issues listed. First one, climate change. Second is global ethic, indigenous peoples, next generation, so they have to go after the kids, peace and justice in their warped definition of what that is and then finally women's dignity um those are their critical issues of the uh, world parliament parliament of world religions uh, uh, it, it's uh, the same thing as as if you look if you were to look at information from the um national council of churches the uh, yeah. world council of churches it's the same thing yep yeah. yeah. well because 
I mean, I also sat in another seminar, and this is very important because you are facing an absolute invasion on your southern border. We are facing an absolute invasion on our southern border uh, over the channel of Dover. We have dinghies coming over. I think we've had since the beginning of the year around about 24,000 people coming over from France into our country. Uh, we, just to give people another geography lesson, the United Kingdom fits into Texas nearly three times. We have a population of 68 million. North Dakota, uh, which is half the size of the UK, has a population of 700,000. So just trying to give a context. And then we've got all these people coming over, which the French police, as it's been revealed in an article uh, very recently, are not doing anything about, even though we have paid France something like £800 million to sort this out. And police are being paid a lot of money to attend bars, nice hotels, and just stand there and not stop any of these dinghies coming over from France, where you have got a massive problem on your southern border with uh, with dear Texas and uh, Mexico. So let's just quickly discuss that. There was a seminar where four, four mayors were there, two from Canada, two from America, I believe. Yes, two. And one of them, who was sort of semi-chairing the meeting, was from San Antonio in Texas. I've forgotten his name. But he was on about the fact that his job, his job as mayor and whoever works for him was to not ask people for papers, but to ask for how they could actually help people. He then gave a figure of a of 500,000 illegal immigrants that San Antonio has actually helped over the last two years. Now, I'm not saying that my Texas, my Texas geography is brilliant, but if we take San Antonio, if we then think about other towns, whether that, of course, would be Austin, the capital, if we then think of da Dallas, think of Houston, think of El Paso, bloody blah, but more towards the southern cities, when you start to have an extra half a million, and I was noting certain traffic differences, then that has an impact. It has an impact on the whole state in regard to the fact that having had a, quite a hot summer, um, then your resources of electricity, water, food, um, your, your traffic starts to really, really build up and jammed up with people. We then have situations where illegal immigrants are driving vehicles and hitting people's houses, as happened in the last few days, and causing untold damage, but they don't have a, a insurance, and then they're let off. So there is huge major issues here, but this mayor seems to think that it's perfectly acceptable for San Antonio to deal with half a million illegals. I'm fully aware that Governor Abbott has been bussing the illegals up to New York where the New York mayor turned around and got, you know, in about a year, a year ago, less, maybe less than that, saying all these people are welcome. Well, he soon, he soon changed his mind. This whole ethos is also part of the, um, of the Parliament of World Religions, because he's talking about, and with the World Federation, which is then wanting to build an, an ethical system where there's, you know, um, equity, everyone has a right to this, that and the other, buying in this, that and the other, then then the whole discussion of of justice, then it goes, of course, the 17 development goals where all of this is then coming from Agenda 21 leading into Agenda 30. And the bottom line is not that they would say it as such, but when people are talking about net zero, and I think the gentleman, Patrick Moore, who started uh, Greenpeace, says it better than me. And remember, he left Greenpeace because Greenpeace then started to become an organization that was anti-human being. 
environment all of us want to protect the environment we as a as a an example we don't want plastic bags in rivers or anything like that if we go camping we're making sure that we're clearing our rubbish up we're taking it home with us we're making sure that we're not uh, lighting fires where we shouldn't or potentially being in danger of, of of them creating fire in the bush which which we shouldn't be doing so we're mindful of our environment okay now there's a difference between that and turning around and saying, we're going to go for net zero. We're going to get rid of oil. We are going to deny energy that any civilization needs for people to get out of poverty. They need cheap energy. So we're going to deny that to various people. And what we're going to do, we're going to make sure that our policies, um, without saying it, will throw everyone back into uh, the stone age and that you will freeze and that uh, we will turn off all of this uh, electricity and all the rest and just to give people a context and i'm not sure of what the figure is in america again it'd be interesting to find out over here we've had this whole thing of these big wind farms and these windmills that look something out of 1984 with their red lights at night they produce when they're turning 0.03% of the electrical needs that we need in this country. 0.03%. Mm -hmm. Now we have a population of 68 million. How are they going to cope with being kept warm of 0.3% plus they want to keep building these wind farms, which I think look hideous. And we do have our own oil reserves. Biden has just stopped you drilling in, uh, not increasing the licenses to drill in Alaska and to drill elsewhere. So at the center of this joining up of UN policy of creating a one world government, as the brilliant Bill Jasper, William Jasper's book, global tyranny step by step another book everyone should buy the second hand i'm hoping he's going to put it as a reprint of 1992 when he laid all of this out and of course that is when the whole discussion of the development goals began to really take off and as carl will talk about that gentleman <coughs> uh morris strong the canadian who was a new age thinker but the the center of all of this so the parliament has the UN ideology meets all these NGO, you know, really earnest youngsters who might not have done a proper job in their life. And one of the, it's not funny, but it did amuse me. One of the seminars was reflecting, and this is really important as we come up the last few minutes, was reflecting on COP28. So at COP28, they, they produced the climate change 10 commandments and they smashed them and all this kind of thing. You might have seen the, the uh, PR about that. But these uh, members of the NGO work the, of the um, youngsters of the parliament involved. They were complaining that the particular meetings that they were holding, that there was air conditioning on, that the air conditioning really it should have been turned off because if the air conditioning was then turned off, then then those people um, at the meeting would have got a, a really good understanding of what it's like for others that don't have air conditioning. Well, if you're going to stop Africa having access to cheap energy, then that will then continue for argument's sake. So now you have Biden, of course, turning around to Americans to turn around and say, well, we now just need to stop you having so many cooling fans for air conditionings in your house. We, we need to maybe have some policies on that. The other thing that amused me is that one of the, I think one of the sponsors of uh, COP28 was Coca-Cola. They were uh, upset about that. And of course, they had access, um, more access to Coca-Cola than they did water. They were then complaining about the fact that the inter internet connection between Egypt and America wasn't good enough for the particular seminars and the reporting back that they needed to do. Well, I, I didn't point out, I mean, I, I, it would be very wrong of me to point out to these individuals that to have the internet, you need electricity. And how could you then be able to communicate if you then didn't have electricity. In other words, I'm just saying that 
after a period of time, you then got to think that some of these people are completely and utterly barking mad. But it is, it is, it is a cult. It's a cult. It's the climate. It's the climate. The climate change cult. And as we, it is, and that topic is is just too deep to get into. But before we run out of time, we have we have five minutes here. Anyone in our audience have any questions or comments for Mark? Uh, just raise your hand, and and we'll bring you right in. Okay. Looks okay, like nobody out there today. So go ahead, Mark. Um, <laughs> obviously I've, I've driven them into a, a sleep coma um but the other the other thing the other thing uh, is is not to be depressive we need to know that these these events are going on and I, I want to encourage people i'm not sure where the next one will be whether it will be in america it may not it may be in uh, saudi well, arabia i'm just looking at the list here they had 1893 1993 in chicago then yep. we moved to Africa, uh, 1999, 2004, Barcelona, 2009, Melbourne, Salt Lake, 2015, Toronto, and 18, virtual in 2021, and then in Chicago in 2023. So they're they're meeting. Looks uh, looks like they're meeting more regularly, aren't they, Mark? Well, they are now. Definitely, they have been because um, as things have been stepping up since. Uh, the meeting at Kyoto and uh, and all that kind of thing. And these so these are been, world religious leaders, but they are meeting in the U.S. So this is what we're exporting to the world. Precisely. But but the the key thing is, I want to encourage people and say, maybe that's up to Carl myself. Well, we've got to inform you when these things are going on and ask for people to pray and also to ask that that Carl and others. And if I'm privileged myself to then be able to attend these people and continue these occasions and continue the research that we need to know. And we need to, you know, this manual has people's faces in it, has people's lists in it. We need to know who they are. And within our own, within, and and church is a big issue for all of us and how we define it has completely changed because if, if, if our pastors, ministers have swallowed the uh, COVID-19 Kool-Aid, then they haven't been talking about that. Um, we need to invade these places. And there is also an opportunity for evangelism, but also to engage and find out what is going on and put our armor on. I don't take it lightly, but as Ephesians 6 says, put our armor on and engage and go into these places. We all know, we need to work out where these kind of things go on, whether you know, et cetera, et cetera. What conferences are there around us, especially if people are starting to run, you know, Satan clubs for after school activity. Um, Rob, I'm conscious that it's coming up to the hour, but just wanted to say thank you very much, sir, for having me on. Well, thank you for being here, Mark. Um, one of the things that I've been wanting to research um, over the last few years, especially, <clears throat> is the... Uh, Clergy response team. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term. I am. I am. I am. And um, and the world, um, the World Council of Church. Church churches. Yes, the World Council of Churches, because there is one of those in every state. We have the Wisconsin Council of Churches, and if you look, I get their I get their stuff by email every every week, every month. <clears throat> And if you look at some of the things that they do, some of their activities, they're absolutely, totally non-Christian. There's there's nothing well, I, Christian about their activities at all. But yeah, and here's are, a little, yeah, no, I agree. And here's a little caveat, sorry. And I think um, if I've got this right, is that the, in the World Council of Churches, um, this whole thing, it wouldn't be surprising if I've got this right, it's another CIA infiltration and people like Corey Stewart, who was uh, put in there as a member of the CIA. And I hope I've got the right uh, group correct. But I know that that kind of activity was going on because then, uh, you know, Alan Dulles then using what he would term as faith-based interfaith situations to then push the whole, whole UN New World Order agenda as well 
from the back where all of this is going in one particular direction. I need to ask Carl about that to support me in that, but I think you'll find there's a huge element of truth. Well, it all comes back to the globalists. It's it's always the same people doing the same things, and um, they're really ramping it up. So anyway, we are out of time here for today, folks. Um, Dr. Mike is going to be here next week. In two weeks, I have a very important program. I hope you'll tune in in two weeks. It's essential that you not only are able to join us, but watch and share and invite other people for two weeks, two weeks from today. Um, I don't know the date. It eludes me, but tune in in two weeks. And uh, it's it's very important. Uh, people's lives are at stake on this one. So we'll see you then. Thank you for being here today. And God bless you, Mark. Thank see you. you all next week. Bye-bye.